No notice? Can you all hear me? Yes, that's good. It's a lot easier that I don't have to shout. Um, it's a real privilege to be here this morning. Thank you, Martin, for the introduction. Uh, I've driven over this morning from sunny Bradford. Um, come, come over the dark to the dark side, some might say, but actually, uh, since I've been here this morning, I've been so, so welcomed. And uh, you might tell in my dulcet tones that I'm originally from Northern Ireland. I have been told that if there is a problem, you will see subtitles come up on screen, so you'll understand exactly what I'm going to say. No, a, a real privilege to be here. Um, in the, the time that I've got this morning, I just want to hope to introduce to you a subject that you may or may not be aware of, tell you a little bit of my journey, the journey at Hope for Justice, and uh, give you the, the kind of background to where we find ourselves today on the issue of modern slavery. In 2007, uh, I was sitting as a, an advisor in an offshore trust that was based out in the US, and uh, I found myself on um, a night spare in Los Angeles. Now, I grew up in Northern Ireland in a rural community, and uh, Los Angeles felt like a million miles away from where I could possibly ever have been before. And uh, a friend of mine who lives in Los Angeles had said to me, would you fancy a night out? Let's go out to Sunset Boulevard. Now, I, I don't know about you, but like, that's not somewhere I'd ever been to before, and it's not something I'd ever connected on. The only place I'd seen Sunset Boulevard before on was Pretty Woman. And uh, that film that uh, Richard Gere and others in it, but um, it, it, it intrigued me to come along. And he said, would you mind if a friend of mine comes along too? I said, no, the more the merrier. So we went out for a night out, and uh, we were having dinner, and whilst we're having dinner, his friend uh, was on the phone. And, uh, you know, I don't know him, and I'm listening to what he's saying. Probably I shouldn't be, but I'm listening anyway. And uh, whilst he's on the phone, he's, he's on the phone to Condoleezza Rice, who was then working for George Bush. Again, not something that's connected in my world. I don't normally dance around those circles. And uh, off the back of it, he was discussing the fact that they downgraded India under the Human Trafficking Register. And this chap had been out in India the week before, and he'd seen girls in cages. And I was, this is 2007, and I was, what? That's crazy. And whenever um, he came off the phone, I asked him what he did, and he told me that he worked as a slave hunter. And uh, again, I don't know if you've applied for insurance where you have to put your, your name and what profession you've got. You know, my wife's a teacher. It's relatively straightforward. Slave Hunter isn't one of those that would ever come on my register. But it was something I didn't understand. So I wanted to ask him a lot more questions about what we was doing. And he opened up to the subject of the fact that he was born a Jew. He'd read the Bible and become a Christian. Now, I could have talked to him all night about that issue. I could talk to him about what it meant from, from a Jewish tradition to actually being a Christian. But he went on to explain that he'd become a Christian on a Tuesday. He'd read uh, the, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount the first week he'd become a Christian. And on the Thursday, he read an article about girls in Southeast Asia being forced into brothels. And that week, he uh, flew over to Cambodia and started busting girls out of brothels. Now, I don't know anything about your faith, and your faith in action, whether or not you've spoken to your neighbours, or the person who serves you petrol at the petrol station, the person who you get your groceries from. To, to overcome that barrier and to reach in to people that you don't know is one thing. 
But to go to the point where you feel that your, your faith in action leads you to go and do something significant like that, I felt so, so challenged. And I, I, you know, I was scrambling around, can I give you some money? Is there anything I can do to help you in this issue? And his challenge to me was that this is going on all over the world. Nobody but nobody's talking about it. But maybe if you don't do something about it, more people will be held against their will. Maybe if you don't do something about it tonight, more people will cry themselves to sleep. This is going on all over the world. It's going on in your country and it's going on in your city. What are you prepared to do about it? And uh, I, I, I went back uh, to my room that night. I couldn't sleep. And I read uh, the next scripture in Luke 4. And uh, just for anyone who's been a Christian a while, they'll have read this, but I'll read it uh, to you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I realized that this is a mission. It's not our mission. This is Christ's mission. And Christ came with a mandate to release everyone from oppression. And uh, I came back and I spoke to pretty much every single person I knew. This was before the big day of everyone being able to click friend on, on Facebook and be able to tell people about an issue that was really going on. I, I actually spoke to my close friends. And one of my friends, uh, Chris Taker, who uh, was a, a car dealer, he, he said to me, he'd met a chap over in Manchester who was a trained opera singer and he wanted to put on an event to tell the church about this issue. Maybe, just maybe I could help him. So I ventured over to Manchester and I met Ben. And my heart was so full, so full to do something significant in this issue. And there were nine of us that got behind Ben's vision to put on our first event. And I sat on the founding board of Hope for Justice and I had the privilege of naming the organization. And uh, for the first event, Ben said he didn't want to just do a church hall. We weren't going to do a town hall. We were going to hire the NEC. Yeah, that was pretty much our, our response at the time. Three hours from where most of us lived. It's not like we could just call on the local church community to come and help us. Uh, we felt that we needed to tell people about it. Now, I don't know whether or not you've ever been in a situation where you have had to speak about something that is significantly important to you. This issue is significantly important to me. But actually, to make the first event happen, my wife and I had to put our house on the line to make it happen. Now, my wife was heavily pregnant with our first son, and I didn't really want to tell her that we'd lost the house. So that year, there was a minor miracle that happened in our ability to be able to reach people. And for our very first event, which we called The Stand, we had 5,884 people come. I'll repeat. 5,884 people came. Our budget left us with just over £50 spare. £257,000 that we had to raise. I tell you that just so you would realise, we're not into this a little. We're into this with everything that we've got. And we set about setting up uh, the organisation. I'll throw up my, um, give you a bit more of our mission statement, that we do exist to see an end to modern slavery by rescuing victims, restoring lives, and reforming society. For most of you, you may not know what modern slavery is. There's been a number of high-profile things that have come out recently. Um, if anyone's into Coronation Street, there's been a, a story on there recently. And just trying to tell a little bit of the ways in which people get caught in this country in modern slavery. And um, 
Uh, basically, modern slavery is broken into three core parts. The first part is where we see sexual trafficking. Those people who are trafficked um, into brothels to serve men prim- primarily in as prostitutes. The second area is where people are held and forced to work in domestic servitude. That's where they're, they're held against their will and uh, not released from a home and forced to clean and tidy and do all of those kind of menial t- chores in homes. And the third area is labor trafficking or bonded slavery, where people are held against their will and forced to work um, in factories, forced to work in uh, a whole array of different, uh, different jobs across the world. But we, we set up, and uh, initially we thought we might be a conduit to send Monday on to other charities internationally. And for our first event, we invited everybody who knew anything about modern slavery to come and speak at that event. Uh, but the more we prayed about it as a board, we, we felt a release that God wanted us to do something significant in the UK. And uh, I challenged the board that this chap has told me this is going on in my city. Maybe just maybe we could do something there. So we set up the, the West Yorkshire Hub. And uh, initially, we, we started taking on former senior police officers to work for us. Uh, we were a, a charity startup, Christian charity, wanted to do something significant, and we realized that we didn't have the expertise ourselves. We would have to bring people in to help us. So we took on former senior police officers to work for us. And uh, we had a, a team of about eight individuals. Now, to set context for you, in the preceding 18 months, the entire police force across England and Wales had rescued 88 victims of modern slavery. 88 victims across the 43 core areas in England and Wales. And we set about to try and see if we could find anyone that was held in slavery. This guy has challenged me that it's going on in my city. Maybe, just maybe, we could do something. And we had the former divisional commander of that area retire his post and come work for us. So initially, we had credibility. We had a a connection with the local community. And what happened next was known as, and it still is known as, the Bradford Effect. Now, the statistics uh, that they talk about the number of people held in modern slavery in this country are actually linked back to the Bradford Effect itself. Because in our very first year of operation, we rescued 110 victims of modern slavery. The youngest being three months old, trafficked for sexual exploitation. The oldest being 58 years old, trafficked for bonded labour. As part of that, we rescued 33 people from a bed manufacturer that were manufacturing beds in Huddersfield for John Lewis and Next, two large companies that had no idea this was going on in their supply chain. We decided that we would approach Mark Burns-Williamson, who is the Police and Crime Commissioner in that area, and we agreed that we would do three things. The first thing that we would do is we would train every single member of his police force. So over the course of a two and a half month period, we trained 4,800 police officers in groups of 50 for half a day training, ensuring everyone knew how to spot it and what to do with it. The second thing we did is we uh, set up the first task force. So we chaired, uh, and we still do, the National Forum for Police and Crime Commissioners, but we also helped to chair a task force to bring together all the frontline professionals, spot the gaps where people were falling through the nets, and hopefully rescue more people. And over the, uh, with the third thing that we did is we set up a memorandum of understanding. We employ lawyers, and the Home Office's lawyers agreed for the first time a joint intelligence sharing agreement, unheard of, In the world of GDPR, to have an agreement to pass uh, intelligence on this was a real coup. But off the back of it, in the next 12 months, we managed to rescue 
190% extra in what we were doing. All of this is, is stuff that is publicly available. Because we wanted to live in a world free from slavery. We wanted to do everything we could to rescue those victims who were held against their will. We tried to see ways in which we could step in to do more. And over the course of the next year, I managed to secure the use of a building in the West Midlands area. And we got a funder to fund the next three years of our rescues in the West Midlands. And in our first year there, we rescued 104 victims of modern slavery. We saw rescue rates go up by 127%. We've seen significant growth. As the church has prayed and stood with us in this, we have seen doors open that we couldn't have opened ourselves. We've seen a breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. I was seeing our West Yorkshire hub on Friday, humbled to hear the stories. I got the privilege of meeting a, a survivor on Friday. Just that team alone rescued six people this week. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know on your worst day how things are at. But to hear the stories of individuals who are held against their will breaks my absolute heart. We have set about to try and come out with a thought-through professional approach to wanting to make a difference. You, you read from Joseph's life that actually it's not the dream isn't where the blessing is. It's the plan. Fundamentally, most Christians have a dream of wanting to do something significant for God. But they, they abdicate the, the, the ability that they have to do something because they don't have a strategic plan to make it happen. So I encourage you, if God has given you something this morning that you believe in your heart that you want to see taken forward, work on the plan. Believe God to give you a plan that can work. But we know that our plan was working, that God was breathing on it, that we were starting to see significant numbers of people being rescued. Off the back of it, we've been able to do amazing things internationally. Um, we were approached by a group of churches in 2014 to want to set up in Norway. And on the 1st of August 2015, um, we held an event called Endag in Oslo. For the first time in Christian history, we pulled together all parts of the body of Christ. We got 3,500 people to come and we launched our investigative centre. We're currently working on a case at the moment with over 40 victims in Norway alone. It'll be, once that goes um, into the public domain, it'll be one of the largest cases ever in Norwegian history. We've been working on cases that are significant in this country. You may have seen a couple of weeks ago, we had a case that um, had the restrictions released on it, where uh, we at Hope for Justice rescued 51 victims, um, and that was an entryway for the police to do a more thorough investigation beyond what we had done. And uh, the cases went to court. Um, just a few weeks ago and off the back of it the, the police have said that there were over 400 victims of modern slavery in that case these were coming from the Polish community but what has surprised me as I've looked into this it's not an issue of immigrants it's not an issue to deal with um, people coming from abroad it's, it's a real mix people who you might find in this country people who are born and brought up here we've had cases where an individual in London a boy that was brought into the country um, was held by a consultant and nurse on the NHS, held for 24 years as a domestic slave. If you start to hear the cases, it beggars belief. You start to question, how can, this, how can this ever be something that God would want to see happen? Now, if I take you, um, I love Hebrew tradition. I'd love to spend more time talking about it, but I love going into the word and God's word to lead and be a lamp to my path. If you go into Genesis and you see where 
Adam and Eve go to after the Garden of Eden. They go to a place called Havilah. And in Genesis, it describes how there were two things in Havilah. It said that the river Pishon flowed through there and pure gold was found there. Why that's important is Havilah translates as the place of suffering. So after Adam and Eve sinned, they went to a place of suffering. Pishon translates as a river of hope. So there's a river of hope in a place of suffering. Now that would be really important and I'm sure loads of people would be able to preach more eloquently than me about why that's really important. I did a degree in technology, so I can go one level deeper for you. Um, Rabbinical teachers would tell you that the river Pishon is where the pure gold was found. If you don't know if any of you are into those programs on the Discovery Channel at the moment, that they try and trace out ancient riverbeds and find gold. Anyone who's into Parker and and the gold stuff that's on there. But um, if pure gold was found in the river Pishon, that's really, really important. Because pure gold does something that an alloy of gold doesn't do. Pure gold makes water turn blood red. You can buy it on Amazon. I'm not making this stuff up. So there's a river of hope that flows blood red in a place of suffering. Why that's really important is we fast forward to Egypt and the Israelites see the first plague. A river of hope flowing blood red in a place of suffering. We fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane translates as the place of suffering. And Jesus sweats blood. It's an image of hope in the midst of suffering. We go to the cross and there's a spear placed into Jesus' side. It's not just that he's clinically dead. It's hope in the midst of suffering. And we believe that as Christians, we are called with a mandate. We are called to believe that we, the hope of Christ that is in us, is there to change society. Is there to change the world that we live in. We are not called to just be passive about our faith. We're called to make a significant difference with the faith that we've been given. I cannot tell you the number of days where I've wished that, that this would just end. We, we try so hard to live in a world where we would see it end. And we do everything that we can. Off the back of that, we've expanded now into a further nine countries. Uh, we've got 26 locations. I was just out this week in Uganda where we've discovered uh, 35 brothels um, in a slum community where... The girls are between 8 years old and 11 years old. I've got two girls myself. And I can't imagine. I cannot imagine what it is like to live one day in that situation. But these 35 brothels, we're going to bring an end to. We're going to shut them down. Off the back of it, we've launched a new centre called Mary's Lighthouse, which is going to be a transitional centre for us to be able to place kids back in families. You want to go to the next slide. We need to get you to join this movement. This is not our movement. This is not just a hope for justice thing. This is actually a God thing. I don't want to see anyone held against their will. Ever. I look at this and say, God wants us to take this on board and to be the answer to those people who find themselves being exploited, find themselves in a, in a place where they cannot break free calling out to your God that only someone would get off their blessed assurance and do something to, to do something to make a difference in this area. You want to go to the next slide? I um, want to tell you this story. Um, this was off the back of a recent trip to Cambodia. This is a girl called Sophia. I wanted to make this real to you so you would be able to understand exactly what goes on. This girl, Sophia, um, uh, the police, as part of her um, 
prosecution process for the traffickers. The police take a photograph of the person in situ so it can become part of the evidence. When I look through, I sit on our international executive team, and when I look through the file when I went out to Cambodia, this is the photograph that greeted me. I'd never seen chains and a, a padlock used in this form. It, it conjured up images of something from an archaic time, something from the transatlantic slave trade. But this was a beautiful girl. But she was held, and during the day, she was forced to work on a building site. And during the evening, she was uh, forced to work as a prostitute. What made it more difficult for me is that she was held for four years. And by the time I saw her, she was only 15. And uh, it was her mum who'd sold her into this area. Now, I don't place any judgment on anyone. I don't know what people have to go through to be in a situation where they would allow this to happen to their child. But I just wanted to give you an image. And we don't normally share this, so I would ask everyone not to take a picture. But if you want to show the next slide. The girl in the middle who's holding up her fingers like this is Sophie. I got to meet her 18 months later as she went through our dream home. I'll tell you, you, I'd walk through walls to see girls transformed. We live in a world where people think it's okay to buy and sell individuals. Just the chap I met on Friday was, was brought into this country and told that he was a horse told that he was there to do work for someone else's benefit. No money given, six days a week working. We've got to see a change, bro. If you want to show the next slide. But this is what Sophia means to us now. So at our head office, and now going across the world, we've set up what we call a freedom wall. Now, you might not be able to see it from there, so if you want to go to the next slide. What we do every single time we rescue an individual, in this country or internationally, is we open a padlock. And on that padlock, we write the name and the date where they were rescued. We have seen thousands of padlocks open. Just this last year, we've had over 2,000 padlocks opened. We've been able to help 71,000 children. We've had 1,014 children brought back to their mums and dads. I will tell you, if you get the opportunity to see even just one person brought back to their mums and dads, one that the mums and dads thought was gone, would never see again. Honestly, you'd do anything to make it happen again. I just know that we live in a world where now, this modern age that we live in, we can see things happen in a way that we've never done before. You want to put it on the next slide. But we're going to need you to help us. I want to tell you the story of just one individual that we've been able to help. We're going to play a short video and then I'm going to jump back up if you'd like to play the video. We all dream of giving more to our children, of raising them in love and freedom. For many parents living in poverty, that dream is cruelly exploited by traffickers. New life. I was prepared to do anything for her, so that she wouldn't go without. God forbid, not like my parents treated me. Natasha was abused by her own parents. She was determined to build a different life for her daughter, a life of love, safety and hope. But she struggled to find work in her home country. 
I was offered a chance of work in Germany for three months to make some money. But I ended up in Amsterdam. They beat me, making sure that the bruises didn't show when I went to work. Natasha was trafficked for sex across Europe for five years. Desperate to get back to her daughter, she risked her life to escape. Returning home, she discovered that her own mother had trafficked her. The thing that upset me the most was that she knew I was trying to provide for my daughter. Natasha still would not abandon her dreams for her daughter, so she seized a new opportunity of work in the UK. When I arrived in the UK, they took our passports. If you refuse to go to work, you will end up in the streets, beaten. Natasha was forced to work on her feet 10 hours a day, six days a week for eight years. It was terrifying sleeping at night. Sometimes they would smash down the door of our room in the middle of the night. He would use a baseball bat. Every day I thought about how I could escape with my bones intact. There are 13,000 victims of human trafficking in the UK tonight. Hope for Justice exists to identify and rescue them, to help them rebuild their lives, and one day soon, to end human trafficking for good. I am free today because someone decided to support Hope for Justice. They have given me so much genuine and real support. They appeared in my life like a guardian angel from the sky. Since we rescued her, Natasha is rebuilding her life. She's back in touch with her daughter, and she has found a faith in God that gives her strength. I know now that God exists, and there are good people in the world. I always have hope that in the future, everything will be okay. I never look back. Hope for Justice have rescued hundreds of people here in the UK. But those who are still trapped need someone like you to be their guardian. A guardian sets free. Speak out. Stand up. Defend. Protect. Restores. That is what it means to be a guardian. Become a guardian today and fulfill their dream of freedom. brings it more to life when you understand what people have to go through and the problems that they go through and difficulties that they can we help to try and rebuild their lives we have a team of advocacy support staff that try to ensure that they can get civil litigation against the individuals who've been criminally liable for this we try to make sure that they get access to welfare benefits housing all the elements that they would need to do we get trauma-informed care. We try to employ clinical psychologists who can ensure that the trauma-informed care that they get is the absolute best anywhere in the world. But we need you. 
We need you to not just think that this is someone else's issue, but actually that this is Christ's issue. And he's calling us to make a difference in this, calling us to want to do something significant. For anyone who's been a Christian here a while, you've probably read Hebrews 11 and thought to yourself, I know what it means to be a hero in the faith. But every time I read Hebrews 11, I'm transfixed by how, how many of those individuals have done such horrible things with their life. And I was with a, a Hebrew scholar of mine um, a short time ago, and he was telling me about what Hebrews 11 means to a Hebrew. And Hebrews 11 is broken down into three parts, he said. If you want to be a hero, you have to be Tofela, Teshova, and Sadaka. Tofela is where we get prayer from. Teshova is where we get repentance from. And the root word sadak means righteousness. Anytime you get a ha on the end of a word in Hebrew, it means that word revealed. Righteousness revealed as generosity. So to be a hero in the faith, you need to be prayerful, you need to be repentant, and you need to be generous. There were 12 stages to Sadaka. The highest level of Sadaka was when you gave to someone that meant that they never needed to be given to again. So when God gave us Jesus for our salvation, it's the highest level of God's generosity. When we see someone rescued, that means that they never need to be rescued again. It's the highest level of generosity in what we're doing. I believe that we're called to be a river of hope in a place of suffering. People tell us that what we're trying to do can't be done. That this is, you know, human nature. People will exploit people. It's been going on for thousands of years. People come to us and say, you know, um, yeah, you've rescued a lot of people so far, but it's still going on. And even in the UK, you know, the 88 that I mentioned that were rescued before we started, last year's figures in the UK, there were 6,933 people who were entered into the national referral mechanism. The figure of 13,000 is some, seems somewhat small in comparison to that number. And already, just on the first quarter of this year's numbers that they're putting through, it, it seems there's a 40% increase in the numbers of individuals that they're rescuing. And we often get told that what we're trying to do is impossible. Uh, but we choose to greet impossible with the words that Muhammad Ali said. That impossible is just a big word thrown around by small-minded men who find it easier to live in a world that they've been given than the power they have to change it. That impossible is nothing. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is a dare. Today, if anyone does want to become a guardian, I'm, I'm going to be over by the stand when we finish. And a guardian is someone who gives £15 a month to help support our work. If you um, sign up to become a guardian, we'll send you a copy of our Impossible as a Dare, which is the history of hope for justice in the post. I know that that won't be for everyone in this room. But for those of you who can stand with us and give generously, I would really appreciate that. Hope for justice hasn't been built on the back of people giving us million pound checks. It's been built by the small faithful individuals praying. Those individuals who are helping us, support us with prayer. I'll tell you, I I was sharing with Martin, I haven't been feeling that well myself since coming back from Uganda. And um, I got a text this morning that another one of my colleagues who's out on the team uh, has had to be admitted into hospital. We are in a world where the threat on what we are doing has gone to another level. Maybe just with sickness, but actually we've had some of our staff threatened that they're going to be gutted with knives. We've had individuals with... um, Because what we're trying to tackle is serious and organized crime, the threat is real and relevant to us. We've had individuals on our team who've had to move their families out of home. We need prayer like never before. 
But we need the church to rise up and to realize that we are the answer. That Christ in us is not for, for us just to think this is great and we can be in a holy huddle and, and we're all good together. We are behind enemy lines. We are here to make the biggest difference that we can before leaving earth. We need to make sure that in our communities, Christ is known. That in our communities, we're reaching out to the lost and the broken and the hurting. We need to refuse to abandon the least, the last and the lost. We need to go after every single thing that we can of Christ's mission on this earth. To fully believe that in who Christ is, we cannot turn our backs on the people who need it the most. This might seem so alien to you. It might not be anything you're ever aware of before today. I just hope, just hope, that maybe you would treat this as a possibility for you to step in and make a bigger difference. For you to cause your faith to arise and aliven your faith. I loved hearing about Chloe sharing her story of the red balloon this morning and her baptism. Good on you. People hearing about who God is is what I want to see more of. And if we're fully believing that Christ is there for us, I'm almost done, then you'll, real, you'll realize that Christ, the living Christ in us, that he wants us to reach out to the broken and the hurting and the marginalized, even if it's just giving a bottle of water to the thirsty, even if it's reaching out and giving some food through the food bank and what you're doing as a church, I salute you for everything that you're doing. Could some of you today stand with us and pray that God would see a bigger difference brought in this area, that we would end this crime globally, and that we would see impossible truly, truly disappear, that we would end this in our lifetime. Thank you so much for your time. Let's pray. Sorry about next door. Father, we pray that the armies of heaven will strengthen your people and organizations like Hope for Justice in their tremendous mission. We pray for the breaking of the power of exploitation and control We pray for the setting of the captives free. We pray for your strengthening for Tim and the whole team. And we thank you, Lord. You're on the move. And you're on the move in our country. And we say, bless all this work. Multiply its impacts, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.